You don't put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with, what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in Season 3? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. And the all-new Beauty Translated Love Line at 678-561-2785. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. So this is a podcast about books and adaptations. And one subject we've returned to a couple of times is who gets to tell stories. This is Popcorn Book Club, and today we're continuing our discussion of Lovecraft Country by Matt Ruff. Now, Matt is white, and the adaptation now on HBO counts Misha Green and Jordan Peele among its executive producers. And that is significant because not only are these Black creators taking control of a Black story, but also Jordan Peele helped to give us the language to be able to talk about this. I will help you and also hurt you in ways that I still have control. Yes. He would have voted for Obama a third term if he could. <laughs> yes. I mean, Get Out is iconic for a reason. This is part two of our discussion, so jump back an episode if you want to start at the beginning. Let's go. Welcome to the Popcorn Book Club. I'm Dana Schwartz, and I'm joined, as always, by co-hosts Jennifer Wright, Tantran Karamadankwa, and Melissa Hunter. How's everyone doing? Ooh, great. Cool. Yeah, we're Do all you know. Jennifer's in back in, in Brooklyn, it looks like. Melissa's in, mm-hmm. in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. We're podcasting from every corner of this great nation. Mm -hmm. Very Mm -hmm. exciting. (laughs) And it's very thematic because uh, Lovecraft Country is about the monsters hidden in America. And that is a (laughs) B-minus transition if ever there was one. (laughs) Well, can we we talk about the cover for a second? Because after we stopped recording for our last recording session, um, Dana said to Melissa, wow, good point about the KKK. I never would have thought about that. And I was like, Dana, there are Klansmen on the cover of the book. (laughs) They look like tentacles. That's the artistry of it. Those two things combined. Who did the cover? Uh, cover design and illustration by Gerard Taylor. It's a good cool job, Gerard Taylor. Taylor. You know what, Karama? We're publicly <laughs> shaming. Someone didn't finish the book this week. Oh, right oh, off the wow. bat. Okay. 
my god. Oh, um, I was wow. promised that Jennifer would cover for me. I, I was going like to I cover for you. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, you know what? Dana's a liar. I was. Yeah. <laughs> I did all the reading and it was good. I was going yeah. to sell you out. Karam actually wrote this. Karam, I was going to sell you out, but anyway. I was going to wait until the end and really just like get you. But mm-hmm. Dana just couldn't wait. Okay, apparently nobody internalized the messages about loyalty that are in this book. (laughs) You know, if you, I actually read the the back of this edition, if anyone has this like Lovecraft soon to be an HBO series edition, has an interview with Matt Ruff where he Mm -hmm. said like he saw this as like the Scooby gang where he's like, he thought of it as a series where like this group of characters then just like encounter various Challenges and monsters and I, creatures, and I was like, "Oh, that's a fun way to approach a book." It does feel it's like also that. So interesting that they talk about comic books mm-hmm. a lot during this because I could mm-hmm. very easily imagine this as a graphic Absolutely. novel. Absolutely, yeah. um, that it's just filled with such amazing visuals and adventure and action that it would translate very easily into a visual. Yeah, movie. especially at the end, it feels Karama wouldn't know, but uh, at the very end. <laughs> Uh, when they all come together to like take everyone down that part felt so scooby-doo especially because it's like old white guys in a scary place like being like i could have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you kids you know i also and again karama not to (laughs) put you on the spot but i do want to talk about one moment of the Mm -hmm. ending that Mm -hmm. i thought was really powerful was where they they Spoiler alert, this we're talking about the end of the book, where they get the victory and they they figure out how to use the magic uh, against what's his name? Caleb. Against uh, uh Caleb. Braithwaite. Caleb Braithwaite, the younger one. I'm mm-hmm. mixed up because of the show. And then they're they're in this position of power over Caleb where they're like, and these mm-hmm. are the rules that we will set out for you to obey. And he's like, you can't do this to me. I need to have the control. And they're like, no, well, this is being black in America means you follow these rules. We know yeah. I read this part. <laughs> Screw y'all. <laughs> okay, good. I skimmed to the last chapter. The, okay. There was but a it, moment while I was reading it. Well, now knowing that, sorry, Karama, that you didn't finish it. I was like, she, then you only got a version of the book where like this magical white dude continues to like save the day and yeah. also like doesn't give these black folks any agency in controlling the magic that they get like so i was reading it and i was like this is so upsetting and then the end was satisfying so i'm sorry yes. for you that you did not get that satisfying i'm end. gonna finish it i just <laughs> yeah. couldn't finish it by the hour that we have set for the zoom <laughs> i feel oh, like I- my favorite line in the whole book was when they're sitting around together trying to figure out what to do and somebody says yeah caleb Braithwaite is nice enough for a white man evil yeah <laughs> yeah that it's is. um it's very very true he is some kind of monstrous sorcerer yeah he's nice enough but he is the bad guy and i love that the book realized that he needed Kill. to be yeah, taken down not. on yes. his own terms but mm-hmm. it 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 reminded me have you guys seen knives yeah. out yes yeah. of course there's there's that part in knives out where she gets all the money which is great yeah. and then the oh, yeah. daughter is calling and she's like but we'll we'll give you we'll pay for whatever you need if you just give us the money back don't worry we'll take care of you and then the nurse is like marta's like no i'll i'll take care she's of your like, education I'll, yeah i'll, I'll, do, I'll, it. I'll do it yeah. it's the the switching of power where it's mm-hmm. like white people want to just like dote on and take care of and provide for people of color as long as they have the yes. power and then that switching of power is really 
viscerally upsetting to the white yeah. villains, and which I, I find well, very satisfying. I think in this, in this book, it is like Caleb Braithwaite does represent, he is evil, right? But he also is this like helpful man that's like, I'm going to protect all yeah. you, uh, all you black people that I look at all these things I'm going to do for all of you, like gives mm-hmm. one of them a job, gives one of them a house, you know, like it, and but he is evil and it's all a control, you know. It's all about control. I, yeah. I mean, he is going to take over the world. Like, it is yeah. nice that it's his okay promise is, I'm not going to do okay. anything bad to your family, but God yeah, knows what you. he's going to do to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and even like if he's not actively as racist as the active violent racists in the book of like the, the sheriff, like the people who are like violently racist. He's still racist in that he needs to be the one to control this family. That he's like, no, no, I will, pro- I will protect you, and he wants to have the power to protect or not yeah. protect them as he sees fit. I mean, he killed his father in the first chapter, so I feel like there's no disputing that he is yeah. evil. And yeah. I don't trust him to be like, oh, I'll take care of your family. I'm like, you couldn't even take care of your own fucking family. No. <laughs> well, Karama, he took care of his family. He yeah. did take care of his family. It's yes. Caleb Braithwaite is like Democrat, Democratic establishment. Yes. Like he's like, yes, I will help you and also hurt you in ways that I still have control. Yes. He would have voted for Obama a third term if he could. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he would have. <laughs> And he would have felt right. good about it. <laughs> okay, so uh, there are a number of stories in here that I did read. So let's talk about those <laughs> yeah. so that I can redeem myself. Karma, did you have a favorite story that you want to start with? I feel like we don't have to go in order because there, there is that. really a Should we all go order. around and say what favorite our favorite story, story was? <gasps> yes. Oh, yes. yeah. Okay, Karma, you first. Uh, I like the one with Ruby a lot, which you guys told me not to read before bed, but I did no, and I was no. fine. I said the one not to read before bed Horus. was the, the demon dub. Oh, the devil doll. Devil doll. Oh, that's the one you said not to read before bed. Okay, that was scary. Yes. Yeah. That one was very <laughs> scary. No, the, Ru- the Ruby one's great. The yeah, Ruby one was, was my, my favorite, favorite That was my favorite as well. And a, sec- a close second was yeah. Hippolyta's. Yes. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I was, was going to really say, beautiful. I think my favorite was Hippolyta's because it was such like a big sci-fi concept and then it was such a weird human story. It felt like a Doctor Who episode. Yes. It did feel very much like a Doctor Who episode. Where it's like this weird thing and you go to this place and you get a story from a person and the person might be good or might be bad, but you know what I mean? It has that that weight to it. But Krama, do you want to start with Ruby's story? Sure. Uh, so Ruby is uh, mentioned very briefly in the first chapter, uh, in the very first story where we go to Artem. But she is Letitia's sister. Uh, I believe she's her older sister. Um, so she is one of the three siblings that we've been introduced to in the Dandridge family. There's Marvin, who lives elsewhere. There's Ruby. And then there's Letitia. So Ruby was working as sort of a cater waiter. And she went to a gig. And she was she was asked to go upstairs to clean up some vomit from a toilet. And I love the line where she's like, well... Cleaning up vomit isn't in my job description, but neither is saying no to the host. Yeah. So looks like I'm <laughs> looks like I'm stuck. Uh, so she goes upstairs. She sees her supervisor, who is a white lady, and she is like, "What are you doing up here?" And she's like, "I'm cleaning up vomit," and like holds up her bucket and her rag. Like she clearly is there to clean up vomit. And Catherine, her supervisor, is like, "Well, get to it." And then on Christmas Day. She is then asked to come down to the police station because some earrings have gone missing from the house of the people who hosted the party. And they hold her 
And she doesn't call anybody for help because she's embarrassed and she doesn't want people to know that she's been taken into custody. And they eventually let her go. And they're like, don't disappear, though. So she's not charged because they can't prove anything. And she doesn't throw Catherine, the white lady, under the bus because what's that going to help, really? But she then goes to try and get her money from the catering company. And then Catherine's brother, Leo, is like, no, you can't have your money. And she's like, look, you know your sister did it. I know your sister did it. I didn't tell anybody. All I want is what's owed to me. So then he gives her some money from his wallet. It's missing like $12, which is a lot of money then. Mm -hmm. Still a lot of money now. I'd love $12. Somebody give me $12. It's not, it's not nothing, but she deserves what she earned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she asked for the $12 and he was like, no, get out of here. So she goes, she leaves. Uh, she starts looking for other work. Uh, she tries to get work in a hotel, but they're like, because we have had a rash of thefts, we need to get, uh, we need to check with the police before we hire anybody. We need to run your name by the police. She's like, well, fuck. Cause she didn't steal anything, but the police think mm -hmm. she did. And, uh, then she ends up going to a, a party at Letitia's house, which we'll talk about later. She's supposed to go to a party at Letitia's house. So she's down the street. She has her invitation and she's kind of trying to muster up the courage to go to this party, which she does not want to go to. And she meets this nice white man who may or may not be evil <laughs> at, uh, at a bar. And he's like, hey, you going to the party? And she's like, I don't know, maybe. And then he kind of starts flirting with her and he's like, well, why don't we go to this other bar? And it's on the north side of Chicago, which is white land. And she's like, should I go to this white part of town with this white man? Mm, I probably shouldn't, but fuck it. Let's do it. Let's live a little. I lost my job. I'm upset, whatever. And so she goes out with him. They dance, they drink. He asks her so many questions about herself. And she's like, usually I'd be suspect about somebody who wants to know this much about me, but hasn't told me anything about him. But okay. I'll, I'll go with it. It's fine. They kiss. They're having a grand old time. Then they go to his car. At this point, we know he's Caleb Braithwaite. So somebody that we've already been introduced to. And we're like, oh, he's a no good Nick. Don't. Don't go with him. Mm -hmm. uh, but she doesn't know that. And she can't hear me shouting at the pages. <laughs> Don't do it. So <laughs> she goes with him to his car. And there are some white people, some white men standing by his car. And they're like, is this your car? And he's like, yeah. And they threaten him with a knife or no, with a gun. Uh, and they're like, give us your wallet. Give us your keys. We won't ask twice. And Caleb's like, you won't ask twice. And then they are taken over by the same force that took over Montrose and uh, George and Letitia and Atticus in the first chapter where they can't move. And the guy with the gun is like, please let me go. As if the other person, as if Caleb was the one with the gun. And we get to see Caleb's power of natural philosophy at work natural philosophy which is just magic and he like flings the guy across the street there's another guy and he like basically sucker punches him in the gut and ruby's like what just happened and he offers to talk to her about an, a job he's like yeah so that was crazy right but do you need a job <laughs> 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 and she's like, I mean, I need a job, but also I should leave because that was crazy. And he's like, you can leave whenever you want. You can say no whenever you want. Just come with me to this house that I have. And never just, go to a second no. location. Nope. Nope. Yep. No. We learned that from uh, uh, what's John Mulaney. No, Bittenbinder. 
<laughs> the, the guy who's like street smarts but John Mulaney yeah. then conveyed yeah. that Rumi's message in Chicago she should have known she should have known street smarts in the 50s before Bittenbinder <laughs> was a police officer uh, so anyway she goes to a secondary location which we all know you should not do and she even knows she should not do but there's something happening that she's like I'm very attracted and fascinated by this van and then uh, she wakes up the next morning in sheets that she's like, is there blood on these sheets? They're satin oh sheets. God. And she's a little freaked out. She's like, wait, something's red, uh, blood. And then she goes to the bathroom and sees a white woman and screams. But it turns out that she sees a mirror and she has woken up white with red hair. Uh, does anybody else want to take it from there? I know there were other people who love this story. I'll, so Melissa. Sure, I'll take it. Um, so yeah, she's white with red hair and at first she's afraid, you know, at this woman in the mirror and then she realizes that it is in fact her and she, uh, she says this thing of like her mom always taught her that like either you, you're going to like in these moments, either lose your mind or just deal. And so she decides to just deal. And so she, which I loved that as like a character and, you Mm -hmm. know, a detail. And she opens the dresser. And of course there's like a beautiful green dress that fits her perfectly because Caleb Braithwaite loves that gimmick. And, uh, (laughs) that's just one move. It is great. It's a a dream. Uh, and shoes. If Target can't get my measurements right, I don't trust the man that I met last night that can get my measurements. He's magic. (laughs) That's why I don't trust him. (laughs) And she puts them on. She like cautiously goes outside. There's a cab there that's dropping off. Somebody's like, I'm going to try to get this cab. And he's like, miss. And it's just like, oh, I'm being treated very differently because I am a mm. white lady. And uh, she's like, I, I want to go to this area. He's like, are you sure? Because, uh, you know, for a white lady, that's a bad area of town. So she's like, just take me, just take me downtown. Because she's trying to get away from Caleb. She's still freaked out, right? And so she goes downtown and she like just kind of gets out of the cab and wanders around and she gets, and she gets into a um, a department store and she notices people are treating her differently, looking at her differently because of being this white woman. And not only they, they know that she's like an attractive white woman, right? She has like strong cheekbones and like an assertive kind of look about her. It's, people should listen to her. And like long red hair, even now, I feel like it's just like a yes. thing. Yeah. Like people will. And yes. high cheekbones. Like, forget what is the it. Thing? Uh, yeah. And so as she's walking around, someone bumps into her and then bumps into, a, uh, I think, a, a black child and her mother and is very mm-hmm. rude. And she realizes it's that. Fucking woman. Uh, what's her name again? Catherine. Catherine. Yeah. Fucking oh, yeah. Catherine, who really stole the pearl earrings. And she's like, uh-uh. This, and she's like being rude to this mother and child. And she's like, oh, here's a great chance for me. And so I, she pulls a great move and she like grabs a scarf. Or she, she always, or, or also, she names the white woman Hillary because she decides. That's my favorite detail. I know. That's <laughs> what this woman should be called. Like, what should be, uh, this kind of woman be called Hillary. And so, and she always talks about like, Hillary is going to do this, not her. Because of uh, Sir Sir Hillary. Who Sir Edmund Hillary. Right. Who, yeah, who climbed, climbed Mount <laughs> yeah, Everest. Yes. I know how to say words. Yeah. 
I also find that so perfect and fitting because it's always very funny to me that it's always the white man who climbed Mount Everest, even though he always has like a native Sherpa, Sherpa with him. And, and, all, yes. and that's what all the gear. Yeah. And that's what uh, Ruby said she would want to do. That was one of the details she told Caleb yeah. was be a Sherpa. And um, and so she so Hillary uh, takes a scarf from one of the departments and bumps into Catherine again and stuffs the scarf in her pocket with the tag visible and is like, oh, excuse me. And Catherine's like, oh, get out of my way. And um, <laughs> and so she leaves and then Hillary goes over to a police officer and is like, I'm sorry, Mr. Police Officer. Um, this woman, I just saw, I, wor- I work in the store and this woman, I saw her shoplift a scarf. And also you should ask about her earrings. And the cop is like annoyed and doesn't want to, but because she's white and not black, she, he had, he, he does it. And so he goes over and like, not only did like she gets crazy, <laughs> like he grabs the uh, scarf and she gets upset. And then he asks about the earrings and then she gets really flustered. And then all of a sudden like cops are like jumping on her and it's yeah. wild and she feels a little guilty and is like, this isn't something I would do. But you know what? Hillary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Hillary. And then she goes to like, or she she is a little bit upset and feels a little guilty. She's walking away and a cop is like, are you okay, miss? Did those black kids do something? It's just like these random <laughs> black random teenagers black being like, you street. want me to fuck them up for you? And she realizes like, if she she says no, but clearly he's wants to beat up black kids. So she's like, why don't you take me to lunch? Hillary says that. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and then this cop is just enamored with Hillary and buys lunch and is like, you stay. I got to go back to work. You have dessert. And she's like, I'm going to. Uh, and then she uh, just is like very drunk on this white woman power and she goes, uh, she, she's always, she's talking about like wanting to be a flight attendant. I forget. Someone mentions it, puts it in her brain. She gets her hair cut. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, my God. The hair oh, yeah. And it's yeah. really, really quick. She realizes she gets an it. Amelia, an yeah. Amelia she gets Earhart, a short haircut. Earhart, yes. And when she says she wants to travel, they're like, oh, my sister uh, is a travel, is a flight attendant. She's not pretty enough to go international, but maybe you could. And so she's like, maybe I will. And she goes uh, across the street. There's this travel agency called Lightbridge. And she like walks right in and is like, I want to talk to, uh, I want to go to this office. Like, oh, it might be closed, but go on ahead, the security guard says. And she goes up there and is about to walk in when all of a sudden blood starts coming out of her fingernails. And she doesn't know what's happening. She panics. She races back into the elevator and she starts ripping out of her clothes and she's and she's changing back into Ruby because Hillary is very slender uh, and Ruby is a few sizes bigger, it seems to be. And so, like, she breaks up the shoes. She rips her dress. She grabs the one thing that's hers, her coat, which didn't look fancy enough for Hillary. And she puts it on, races out of there with the security guard going after her. Um, and gets back to the townhouse. Does someone want to take it from here? Yeah. And then she kind of, I think she ends up back at her home and a few days pass and she's kind of like, I can't believe that just happened. Like, what do I do? Should I reach back out to him? Mm-hmm. And, no, you know, common sense would say no. 
don't go back to that dude. But it's intoxicating. It's intoxicating. And she's like, you know what? I remember the address. It just like pops into her brain. She tells, she gets into a cab, goes up to the townhouse. She remarks that like the townhome is, the townhouse is like not that castly as she had thought it was. It's just like, you know, a townhouse on the north side. And she goes in and Caleb is there and is like, oh, you're back. Sorry about that. I figured out the potion. You won't like bleed like crazy anymore. It'll be closer <laughs> to the polyjuice potion mm-hmm. from Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> he says specifically those he words. He says yeah. exactly those words. He's like, are you familiar with polyjuice? It'll be more of a... <laughs> it's going to be it'll huge be more in the a... 90s. <laughs> uh, it'll be more uncomfortable, not so much blood. Um, and he kind of tells her more about what happened. He essentially is like, hey, do you remember what happened? Uh, you got so drunk, almost blackout that I gave you this secret potion and I thought you'd get freaked out that maybe... <laughs> <laughs> he's like that maybe it would have a bad reaction you actually had a panic attack and started ripping off your clothes and she immediately is like did you take advantage of me and he's like no 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 i i I'm just put you in your bed <laughs> i know i'm, I'm a gentleman. gentleman i just transformed your body <laughs> body <laughs> yeah yeah right i took control of your body in another way by changing it into a white woman um <laughs> and so he offers her this like he keeps kind of needling into the fact that she feels like she doesn't get what she wants and that she's always second place to her sister and is digging into this insecurity that she has that she's chosen or makes life choices that, you know, have her coming up short. And he's like, don't you want to have everything that you ever want? I can help you get that. All you have to do is work for me, you know, for six months to a year, LOL, (laughs) which is like such a loose plan for someone to be transforming their body all the time. But he's like, if you agree to do this, I will give you this townhouse and I will also give you an unlimited supply of this potion that will allow you to live as who like this Hillary. He doesn't say Hillary because I don't think she tells him that. Um, Definitely not. No, but that you can live however you want, use the potion however you want. And against better judgment, she says yes. And the first thing that she asks the first thing that he asks of her is to one, hang out at Leticia's house and see if her sister says anything about Winthrop and find out if there's any people coming to the house and checking it, checking up on what's going there. Just find out what's going on. And the second thing that he asks her to do is go to this party where it is a big kind of like conference of all the philosophers from across the country. You have some from Denver. You have some from Los Angeles. It's all very fancy. It's all very like sounding like gruff older dudes who are talking very condescendingly and patronizingly to each other mm-hmm. about magic. Magic, we essentially. Magic. We can just say magic, right? And she is told to just go in there and let those dudes flirt with you if they want. It's harmless. Just listen to them. Just try to gather as much intel as you can. And she's walking around the party. And then uh, Lancaster is a new character that we meet. He's like the head of the Chicago Lodge. I think we met him briefly in the story about Abdullah's book. 
Ooh, right. Yes. Right. Right, 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 right. But he's right, just, right. I like that, like, he's just a little side yeah. character in that. Like, we just see him menacing, sort of, and you're like, hmm, what about this mm-hmm. guy? And this is where you're like, oh, now he's a character. I get it. So mm-hmm. now he's, that's right. Thank you. Um, so now he's a character. And he gets the attention of the entire magic conference, <laughs> magic con. And <laughs> he says to them, okay, everyone, I know we've had bad histories. We've like, we have been factions that have been in disagreements with each other, at war with each other. But I have someone here who I think can bring us all together to take over the world. <laughs> and he might be young, but I like the way he thinks. And when he speaks, he's speaking for me as well. And of course, it's Caleb, who does a hilarious power move and isn't in the chair <laughs> yeah. when he ori- <laughs> when Lancaster originally <laughs> introduces him. It's such it, a little these shit These magicians and their bit. It's so... They love him not being in the chair reminded me of the um, RNC in like I think it was twenty twelve. Oh my god! When um, oh who's the Clint guy who plays against Asians? Yes, Clint Eastwood. When Clint Eastwood was like talking to an empty chair, and it was the most insane thing I think I had ever seen up to that point. Wow, I, I do <laughs> like that was a while ago. Yeah. I do like ago. this depiction of like the most quote unquote like powerful cabal of white men in the world who are just like petty high schoolers like yes. being just little shits and trying to be annoying and like one up each other but bring us home Tian. okay okay so caleb is like i have this idea it can bring us all together as long as you trust me you just have to follow the directions we'll figure it out we'll meet in a couple like months or so and you'll get the full plan essentially um and then i think that night, I think they sleep together, right? Isn't that when they sleep together? They definitely sleep yeah. together. They definitely sleep I mean, together. And she sees as he's like, the next morning as he's shaving, that there's like a red mark on his chest, um, which is important for later. And then... She finds out that he has <gasps> a white lady in a yes. coffin. Oh, yeah, fuck yes. Yes, in a glass coffin. There is no white. Yes. Right. It was right, right, right. Dell from the beginning. It's Dell and he she is in a coma and he is harvesting her blood and keeping her alive and has put some sort of magic where like whatever Ruby does as Hillary, Dell also dreams it, which is so fucked up. And she kind of he kind of manipulates Ruby and is like, you should do this. You should agree to this because she doesn't get to live if you don't get to say yes to this and take all these potions. Uh, it's so, so. Oh, to which so she weird. responds, you're the devil. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this is Popcorn Book Club. We'll be right back after this quick break. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. 
it's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in Season 3? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. Janie, this sounds like an all-new format. Podcasting 2 is finally here. Thoughtful perspectives on current events. Stunning, sexy, bold interviews with an all-star lineup of guests. And the all-new Beauty Translated Love Line, the first ever. Be a part of the Beauty Translated Transcendental Podcasting Experience by calling our helpline at 678-561-2785. For any problem you may have, we will do our best to make it worse. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like actress and director Cheryl Hines. They were looking for an unknown actress. <laughs> To play Larry David's wife. I said, well, how old is that guy? Isn't he old? (laughs) And author David Sedaris. You know, like when you meet somebody and they'll say, well, I want to be a writer or I want to be an artist. And I say, well, is it all you care about? Because if it's not, it's going to be pretty hard for you. If you're not on fire, it's like opening the door of an oven. And it's like, wow, you know, you take a step back. It's all they think about. It's all they talk about. It's all they care about. They don't have relationships. They're not good friends for other people. This is just what they're laser focused on. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back with Popcorn Book Club. I, I do, I think the story is really smart and how, like, things come together because these are interconnected stories that don't mm-hmm. uh, plot-wise tie into each other, but, like, they're elements. Like, the book that they stole in the second story or third story is, like, what Caleb uses to yeah. hold over the people. And that mark of Cain he has comes back, and Dell, of course. Yeah, just to broaden mm-hmm. out for a second, I, like... I love this the way the storytelling in this book and the way these chapters are complete stories with with a different character being a hero. And when we were, I think last time when we read the first chapter, which was so long, I think we were all like, okay, these are all kind of guessing. Like, these are all going to be like anthology episodes, but like mm-hmm. different, you know, different timelines or whatever. And I thought it was... Just a really brilliant way to tell a story that you are so invested by the end and all of these characters and their journeys and how they do all pay off in these small ways. I was just really impressed with how it all uh, s- sewed up. 
Yeah. It was like a braid. Almost. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's a nice way to describe that. Yeah. And, and I, I liked also that the sort of the theme of people underestimating yes. people, mm-hmm. that people in the ass, like I like that Caleb, his whole plan hinged on Lancaster uh, underestimating him. And the whole time he didn't realize he was giving all of these people the keys to his own downfall because he was just like, well, they're just these black people that I'm doing favors for. Mm -hmm. So why would they ever? And then he just fully underestimates them. But he also knows each of their strengths because he makes (laughs) Letitia guard the house and like and uh, like tame the ghost of of Hiram Winthrop and then has uh, <laughs> George and Montrose get that book through that like weird uh, puzzle, creepy, creep, sad, creepy house. sad house, and so or n- no, the, uh, the the first one, the the, the book of <laughs> oh, names, oh, yes. the, the museum book, I mean, yes, the Ocean's Eleven, yeah, yeah, it's like he, <laughs> it was very Ocean's he Eleven. He actually couldn't accomplish any of that, or he was afraid, or like just wasn't smart enough or strong enough. I thought that was so interesting. Well, and it's yeah. white people capitalizing on black labor yes. in the same way that slavery was that. So um, one of the things that I found especially interesting and somewhat disturbing about Ruby's story is that, it, well, he seems to have this convivial relationship with all the members of this family. Ruby's the only one he sleeps with and he immediately turns her into a white woman. Um, and we've kind of seen what happens with interracial relationships in, I think, the next chapter mm-hmm. when they go to the narrow house and they see the ghosts of an interracial couple that are murdered by an angry mob. I uh, love that. I'm going to transition because <clears throat> that one was one of my favorite stories. Well, because I do very... want to say really quickly about sleeping with Ruby. She transforms <laughs> in, the in the middle of them. Yeah. Having sex, yeah. yeah. Which I thought was crazy. <laughs> I was like, is he going to stop? Is she going to stop? Yeah. No one stops, which I guess is equality. uh, (laughs) Yeah, it shocked me at the end of this book. Um, Apologies for spoilers for many people who haven't read it. (laughs) But it shocked me that she really wants to keep being Hillary, that she ends the book by going to the... um, talent agency or the employment agency as Hillary and introducing herself as Hillary Hyde. And And she wants to talk about what she's going to do for the rest of her life. Yeah. And yet you, I do like that we have so many different characters who have different approaches to what it means to be black in 1950s America. Mm -hmm. And I like, there's different ways people react to it. And a, a human reaction sometimes is to try to acclimate as much as possible. That's just like, away some people I like I guess what I'm saying is I like that at the end they did present a varied response to this, well, this the challenge it, that you ever have and it was has. interesting that she Ruby was the only one who didn't tell her full story when they're all coming together and saying what happened to them and he makes a point of saying like Ruby didn't say talk about the kissing or didn't talk about Hillary and then when she goes as Hillary in the final chapter uh, to help them, she doesn't reveal even to Hippolyta who she really is. So it is that sense of like, she knows what she's doing is bad or is not, it doesn't sit right with her. Yeah, it's not, yeah. But it's still what what she needs to do for herself. Yeah, I mean, it's for your, her dream in, in 1950s is to become a flight attendant or an explorer. Like, 
she makes that weird sacrifice in a way that deal with the devil, literally. Mm-hmm. And I think that he frames it really well. He's giving her options. Yeah. And that's the thing about white privilege. It's having options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I don't think that, I think that if she lived, I don't want to say live today because it's not like there's no racism today. It's a magical, happy wonderland. Like we all know that that's not true. Uh, but if she lived today, she would have more options. And if she lived in another yes. time, not 1950s segregated United States, then she would have more options and maybe she wouldn't have made that same choice. Yeah. Yeah. But one of my favorite stories transitioning is the narrow house story, which is Montrose and Atticus, which is a combination we hadn't seen before. Um, And the the broad, to refresh your memory, the broad version of the story is they're going down to get some handwritten notes that they think Winthrop's son, when he ran away with a black woman, stole with him as revenge against his father. And they came down to this town and they have to track them down and get the notes from him. That's their mission that, that Caleb sent them on. Um, but what we discover through the course of this story that I'm very, very broadly summarizing is that this family uh, died in a violent attack, an, ar- an arson. An arson? Is it an arson? Well, it wasn't because it was they a, shot, him. shot him. Yeah. Oh, they, they shot they, them and they then burnt the, the house down. Yeah. Shot them in the head down and then, and then burnt the house down. So they, they murdered this family and the beautiful, then their child. Uh, but what we discover through the course of this story is that through the magic that he learned from these notes, he preserves them in the day that they got shot. Like he's able to like hold time back that day to to have like one one day with his family, which is like I'm getting chills. It's like so yeah. sad and he weird. Was and not good think- at magic. <laughs> there no. was a really funny line in there where um, he's like, "Oh, whatever happened to so and so? We don't get much much news here." <laughs> <laughs> And he like he can't taste food, but he really wants like stories with a he lot wants of emotion. Gossip. Like, emotion. <laughs> yum, yeah. yum, yum, yum. Yeah. He's, like, emo- like he's an emotional vampire. He's a gossip ghost. Yeah. He's an emotional vampire. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting that this is the first time that we really see Montrose alone yeah. Yeah. in the in the latter half of that story where he is interacting with uh the Mr. Narrow slash formerly known as uh Mr. Winthrop. And his story that he shares with him is like absolutely devastating. Oh yeah, well, it's a, yeah, it's about the Tulsa massacre. It's about the Tulsa yeah. massacre. And his father dying, dying in the in massacre that night. Yeah. Um, in, yeah. his, in his arm, the opposite of in his arms, while he was literally carrying Montrose, getting shot. Yeah. I thought that story was interesting because I didn't see like it felt exploitative on the on like Henry's mm. part to get him to tell that story, and then. There was like a weird thing right after where Montrose's dad was there and it seemed like telling the story trapped him in the house Mm -hmm. too or something. It wasn't very clear what exactly was the magic there. I didn't, I'm maybe I wasn't clear. I didn't read it as it was uh, that like the spirit is now trapped. I just thought like some of the weird projection ghost magic made him see it because of whatever weird rules. And I just sort of read that Henry's like, like white guilt, give me stories of black tragedy gossip was unsettling and I hope supposed to be unsettling. Yeah. Because there was the moment where he was like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. And I'm like, what is this? What's happening? Why is Henry apologizing? To whom is he apologizing? What's going on? Yeah. 
So that's what made me think that maybe the dad was trapped there. Oh, that should have gotten, if that was the case, I feel like it would have gotten resolution because there's, everything else gets resolution. Yeah, not to be a contrarian, but I think this was my least favorite chapter. (laughs) 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 Sorry, Dana. Don't be, I just, I just like a little tragedy. I mean, it was very sad, but it just felt confusing using and unsettling and I feel like I wasn't sure what I was supposed to feel out of it and I feel like Mm. he was so good in the other chapters with like it really centering it on our heroes a and their experience Mm. and I loved hearing the story about his father that was my favorite part but it was like so is Henry like a really creepy ghost or is he a victim and it was I mean, I think it was such a linchpin to the whole plot that it felt so important, you know, of like the Winthrop versus Braithwaite, Braithwaite feud and all that stuff. But I just didn't love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. One thing that story. was very unsettling for me about it, and I think Karama touched on it last time, was um, this is a story about a white man who is benefiting by tales of black tragedy. Mm -hmm. And we've talked a little bit about how uh, this is a very, very successful book being turned into a television show that was written by a white man that is now benefiting by stories about Jim Crow era South and the Tulsa Massacre and a lot of other stories about black tragedy so um you know i I think it felt unsettling a little bit for me in that regard Mm -hmm. whether or not not, was it not supposed to i read it maybe i was giving too much credit i read it as that it was like a meta commentary on that and it was supposed to feel unsettling because henry as a creepy ghost he was like he was like matt ruff thinks that he's a creepy ghost i think I guess I thought maybe that Matt Ruff was acknowledging there was a creepy ghost element to what he was doing. Because I thought that you were supposed to be deeply unsettled by Henry, maybe because I was, and I assume my feelings are always correct. (laughs) I just felt because Henry had died and because Henry had this, like, mixed-race family, um, this interracial family, that we were supposed to feel sorry for him, that he was a victim of this as well, and, like, his wife and child were a victim of this as well. But I also thought it was interesting that there was really no point where there was any love shown between Henry and yeah. Pearl, which mm-hmm. made me curious as to the actual events that led to him taking Pearl with and him. I guess and Pearl doesn't. And it also would have been. I was just gonna say it would have been nice to have given Pearl yes. any sort of conversation, like part of the conversation, especially because we learn we read about Ida like in two chapters yeah. before, oh. and we'll talk about yeah. that too but it it did feel yeah it when you think about it uh henry is the son of winthrop who was feuding with braithwaite so he's essentially like caleb right you know like the, this yeah. very rich young white man and it is so interesting that his downfall was this hubris of like being protected and it was like through he thought he was protected through magic blah 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 but it's like it, no black person would be like, oh, I'm going to I'm I'll be fine. Like I, I can move into this neighborhood yeah. where where white people yeah. are burning down uh, buildings and stuff. And we'll but we'll be fine. It was a lot of uh, one black person would do that. Yeah. Her name is Letitia. Letitia. Right. That's true. <laughs> and she's a, but only yes. her. Um, she yeah, is I, I a do. Force unto yeah. herself. I guess what I 
I, yeah, I was very unsettled by Pearl. They sort of mentioned that like she does dishes and then like something about her reaction where I was like, something's off with Henry. And you're right. I wish I got more there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It felt like she was still a maid. Yeah. Yes. She like, there's a point where like he is asking about this story and he's being like yummy, creepy gossip. And I, there was a line where Pearl like goes to the other room and starts like washing dishes a little louder, a little quieter. So like something that shows her reaction was very subtle, but she was reacting to it. I guess the, the thing that I also did like in this story, which now as I think about it, fully agree with you that it is not very clear in what it was supposed to accomplish. I just, I love a, I love a weird Doctor Who set piece. Mm-hmm. I love a, I love a, a house stuck in one day. That's, or, and I, and I liked the seasons. The Coca-Cola. <laughs> The, the, Coca-Cola. Se- the seasons, I- yeah. and I like the Coca-Cola motif. I like how <laughs> Coca-Cola, which sort of represents that like perfect suburban mm-hmm. white America, then became the motif for Montrose. Well, speaking of Doctor mm-hmm. Who, should we can we jump back and talk about Hippolyta's journey? Yes, yeah. yeah. Jennifer, you want to give us the overview of Hippolyta's story? Okay, so first of all, and this is very important, Hippolyta named Pluto when she was a child. <laughs> Um, yes and no. <laughs> she tried. Uh, well, okay. So, yes, she named it. it was I want to say yes. But, um, <laughs> so Hippolyta loves astronomy and loves studying the stars. And when she was a very young child, they found a new planet. Um, they were taking submissions on what the planet should be called. She thought that it should be called Pluto. Um, but <laughs> unfortunately, and it is called Pluto, but credit went to, I think, um, the head of an astronomy lab's daughter, who, yeah, who telegrammed white it lady, in. yep, white girl who telegrammed it in, telegrammed it in as soon rich. as the planet was found and, Okay, so it went to a rich little white girl, but Hippolyta still loved the planets. And sometimes when she's driving around exploring for the safe travel guide, um, she stops off at different observatories. And uh, there's this one moment that's really nice where when uh, she's younger, she stops off at a college observatory and the people there are just perfectly nice to her. I assume that they're white, but they don't treat it as odd at all that she's coming and helping them look at the stars and they all look at the stars together. And it's very beautiful. And it's hope for a kind of new world where the future is coming and there are different planets and maybe there's going to be a better world out there for all of these people. So then, um, then she goes through a portal on Winthrop's property that takes her to another planet where it turns out he has imprisoned his entire household staff because his son ran away with Pearl and he's trying to get the staff to explain what happened to his son. And he just leaves them there on this different planet where they have a machine that will conjure up food, but they have to just push in numbers and something random comes up every and hope, time. And hope something good And hope it's up. good. Um, so Hippolyta meets Ida, who is there. She used to work for Mr. Winthrop. She says that she's always hoping that maybe hot chocolate is going to come up. Mm. But clearly it does not. Mostly they conjure things that are gross. And there is a sea monster at the end of the planet that ate another member of the household staff who was imprisoned there. I think it, how many people did it eat? It ate a few people. At least one. At At least least one. one. 
And yeah. every one of the household staff, except for Ida, Duh. has died over the past few months Correct. in yeah. different ways. Years. Yeah. Years. Years. Several yeah. years. Yeah. But yeah. one of them died more recently, I guess. Mm-hmm. Would have, would have yeah. Like. Five years ago. Yeah. Oh, they, was that the more recent one? The five it's years been ago? Like, the most recent one had died five years they've ago. They've been in there for like 15, 20 years or something. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. When she was talking about the calendar and how many days it's been, and it's like, oh, just wow, okay, on day four thousand three hundred sixty-seven, I'm like, oh, this is like, this is like quarantine. <laughs> they felt like too real. <laughs> all of the, all of the, like, what food from a number are we gonna have tonight? Uh, okay, I guess I'm gonna yeah. look out and hopefully nothing, no sea monster doesn't kill me. Anyway, move on. Yeah. Also, when I read this, my dumb brain was like, it sounds like they're on a nice tiny house in this planet. Like, I don't know why my brain immediately was like, this is like those, sh- like, I don't know why it's like a beautiful tiny house made out of like shipping containers because there's metal everywhere. What? I was imagining the smart house from uh, Spy Kids. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say the smart house from Smart House. No, that's too high tech. But when <laughs> in the film Spy Kids, early on, they go to like this. Smart house, safe house, house. Yeah. and that's what I was. Picturing. I was imagining something. <laughs> I imagine the house from Ex Machina. I was at wow. Oh, that's very. I nice. was imagining something much more bleak. Just be. Have you guys seen the light? The lighthouse. <laughs> oh, yeah, is that the black and white movie it's where everyone's the crazy? most stressful yeah. movie. I do not. It's a great movie that I do not recommend um, because it stressed <laughs> me out too much. But that was. It's a little. My imagery was a little bit bleaker. Well, and I think that Tian's point does stand where it would be lovely if they had chosen to be there. And if they right. could, <laughs> yes. it was yeah. like, oh, cool, we get to experiment with different foods. And like if they had the instructions for also what the foods were, it would be nice to try different things, different days and to go walk along the beach. But there's a monster and it's present. and they're held captive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, but the, um, the, the, in the, doc- the Doctor Who twist of the episode clearly it's a it's a show I like but you always find out like the personal story and then there's always a little turn mm-hmm. is that Ida's daughter is Pearl who ran away with Henry Winthrop and he Winthrop senior then imprisoned them all to to get information out of them but of course Ida never talked because he she knew that it wouldn't end well for her daughter and she wanted to protect her daughter which is and the, also and also he was died he's yeah dead. he died before he could come back for them well that yeah and but, he's but uh she doesn't Ida doesn't know that. Right. Well she's and assumed she finds that out. she doesn't know for sure for sure. She, yeah. She finds out that he died and but that he's a ghost and that if he she doesn't want to fuck with him as a ghost either. So she's like, I'm just gonna hang out here so my daughter can be safe. Yeah, and she's like, No one tell tell no one where I am. I do not want to come back. <laughs> I just I don't wanna fuck with the ghost, just wanna keep my daughter safe. And she gives, uh, she gives Ida. <laughs> Hippolyta, a, Ida, Ida gives Hippolyta a present. Um, and she's like, no, no, don't open this until you're gone. No, 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 no. Don't be. Don't open it until you're gone. So they watch as the, she left the portal open and then two guards come through and monsters eat them. One monster eats them both. Great. While the monster, when the monster's away digesting, Getting Hippolyta sick. leaves and she's like, Monster's yeah. got like <laughs> lactose intolerance. I love he that. Yeah. yeah, people intolerance. He really indulged. We've all been there. Yeah. And uh, she's like, "Do you want to come with me?" And she's like, "No, no, cannot screw with this creepy ghost." Goodbye. And as Hivalt is leaving with this box, cops are at her car, and they're like racist cops trying to interrogate what she was doing there. A little and redundant. Like, yeah. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> yes. 
And they're like, what do you got there? And they open the box, and it's a love monster, and it eats the cops. Mm-hmm. It's pretty. A lot uh, of monsters eating cops in this book. Yeah. 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 I'm still skeptical about whether or not Matt Rupp should be the one to write this book, but I do appreciate the monsters eating the racist cops. I think his heart, his heart is in the right place. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. The only thing that I can compare this to, because I am not a woman of color, is um, sometimes I do not love men writing female protagonists because you get a lot of like... She woke up restily in the morning. Her breasts were still there. Ooh, her nipples were so hard. <laughs> it was morning times for this, a woman. Um, <laughs> her breasts that actually speaks attention. to me. I have to look down every time. <laughs> um, but that said, um, one of my all-time favorite books about the female experience is Madame Bovary. And it's about a rural woman in France, and it was written by an urban man. So there's a big difference between whether things are done sensitively and well and uh, with consideration for the people they're depicting, or whether or not they're just taking a crazy big swing and making a lot of generalizations. I, I think to me, there's like, there's two big questions. It's like, well, one, like, did he approach this, you know, like with a you know, good heart and sensitively and was the portrayal well, and that's great and good. But then there is also the the separate issue, completely separate from like whether he did a good or bad job in the book of like in our country with the systemic imbalances in place, a white person has more resources to yeah. have a best-selling book and yeah. whether he is the one to benefit from uh, telling these stories which I think is a very nuanced and complicated question that the five of yes. us will not and should not solve in the next half an hour. <laughs> no, definitely not. But I do love that we can, that. But I do love that we talk about it because it's really important. And yeah. I think that, like, yeah, I think that we can't avoid talking about yeah. it. If you don't talk about it, then you're not looking at the book as a part of the world and the fabric of the world that we mm-hmm. live in. You're looking at it in a vacuum. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Which it is not. But speaking of vacuum, space. So Hippolyta comes back. (laughs) That was, I think, an A minus transition. (laughs) Um, So we are, um, Hippolyta has the cops eaten by the monsters (laughs) and she gets into her car and goes. But then she realizes that the comic that Horace drew for her is missing. Oh, Horace. Horace Horace is so nice. Okay. This is now a transition into the story that I thought was the scariest. Very and scary. I hate, when I say I hated this story, not because I hated its content, but I just was viscerally unhappy because this one tapped into all my fears. And I did text you all and say, don't read this one before night because I did. And it's I me. still did. I didn't mean to. But then as I was reading it, I had to get through it. And I'm like, oh, no, Dana told me to exactly not do <laughs> this at all. And I did it anyway. It was so what I thought this was the scariest one. It was by a lot. It um, was. And it was. it's such a jarring transition because it starts off um, with Horace talking about not having been to the Jim Crow South. And it seems like he has a better experience in the world than certainly some of the older people, certainly than Montrose, who had to live through the Tulsa race riots. Horace talks about how, you know, he'd heard that some woman who was a teacher died and she couldn't be taken to a white hospital and it took too long mm-hmm. to get an ambulance that would take her to a black hospital. And Horace is like, Oh, maybe they should have like gotten on the phone and tried to explain the situation. Did they try to explain did, it? Yeah, did they? Did they like explain she was a teacher? Um, <laughs> which is in itself, I think, a very privileged kind of mindset that you'll just 
work with people and they'll come around and it's see that young, you're just a good person. And he's clearly had a better experience mm-hmm. than a lot of people in this book, if that's still a mindset that he can have. I mean, my sister, I have a sister who's 10 years old. Uh, we have the same dad and different moms. And I was babysitting her once a few years ago. This was whenever Beyonce's Lemonade came out, whatever year that was, because I was like, you need to hear this. So I played the un- I, I played the censored version for her. Um, <laughs> and she was like listening. And then there was, I think Kendrick Lamar was rapping in Freedom. And she was like, is this guy brown? He sounds brown. And I was like, yes, he is. Because uh, she was like, brown guys are always singing like da 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 da. <laughs> and she was like, that's what rap music is. Yes, correct. Um, she's a child who's interesting. And she said, well, I heard that a long time ago that people wanted to hurt brown people just for being brown. And I was like, oh, baby, I have news for you. That was <laughs> did you, did not you, a long time ago. Did you tell her what racism was? Yes, I had to because I can't be like, oh, yeah. yes, that was a long time ago. It's never going to happen to you. Bye. I had to be like, no, that still happens a lot today. And I'm really sorry to have to be the one to tell you. But I'm also super glad that you didn't already know because it means that maybe the world is getting slightly better because I was called the N word for the first time when I was four. Oh, so. my God. Well, um, I'm, I'm sorry. That's terrible. And that should awful. never have happened to you. I mean, it's it, it happens. Well, That's the yeah. thing. Horace, I mean, Horace learns his lesson. I mean, it's yeah. Horace learns his lesson very quickly, uh, and he is the one who I feel like, out of everyone, he's the one that I felt like there was the most like mortal risk to. Mm-hmm. Where like I was like, yes. oh, and he this, had asthma. Where they're like, he's oh yeah, die. the breathing yeah. thing yeah. was so scary. I thought like so just stressful. that the, it does feel like, and Dana, I feel like this is why, aside from the evil doll that tries to kill him, like it, it, it's like a to me a common nightmare, or it's a common thing in dreams where you can't speak, you know, like or you can't, you're trying to say something but you can't. That's like a common theme in dreams and I have those nightmares sometimes and it's like the idea of like anytime you're trying to speak the truth and trying to warn your family your parents of this danger that's going to befall them he literally cannot breathe and he and he chokes and he and he goes to the hospital it, that it was so that was just as scary as the doll to me he gets so uh, the cliff notes version is the the evil cops that we had met before confront him because they traced the comic book that the mom had and they incorrectly but sort of correctly assume that this family is working with Caleb and they're like, well, you spy for us and they sort of read his mind and know that he's not going to spy for them. And so instead they give him this mark of Cain via spit where it's like a curse that um, by rubbing his head, which is a very important detail because there's so much like cultural stuff with white people touching black people's hair. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And so that felt like a very telling detail but the curse not only made him unable to speak, as Melissa said, about what his experience was with these police officers, but also meant that, like, racist depictions of black people around him, like uh, Uncle Ben and, uh, like, a lawn jockey, mm-hmm. sla- and then later a devil doll, um, now are animate. animate? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was oh. a Black Peter. A Black Peter. Black Peter. Yeah. Um, so now, like, racist cultural depictions of black people um, are now weaponized against him uh, and actively want to kill him in the creepiest way possible. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting because it's supposed to be things that you're already afraid of. 
come to get you. And that's the curse. So it's like, oh, he's afraid of racism, which is what shows up in that first story where it's like, well, did they call to see if the lady could go to the hospital? And it's like this very big specter, this idea that you could die just because of racism. Even if you are already dying, white people will not be like, yes, come in, we will fix you and then kick you out. It's like, no, no, die. Yeah, and they have that really direct parallel imagery in the very end of the chapter when the, when he's running for his life from the doll and the cop is like, where are you running from? What did you do? And he uh-huh. is a, puts his gun in his mouth, I think. And and they say, like, he the, the cop turns his head at the same time the devil doll turns his head. Because the doll. But, but uh-huh. it is like that is, who the, his fear is that cop or the racist people mm-hmm. that are trying to kill you. I'm interested to hear from all of you as non-black people. Um, there was the thing that kept coming up of the, of the white guy who was like disheveled and playing dice oh, and wanted yeah. to rub the kid's head for good luck. Were you familiar with that? Like rubbing yeah. his head for good luck thing that that was a thing. No. Prior to reading. No. This? Yes. I wasn't, did not know. I, I just knew um, touching yeah, hair, but I, I didn't I know that. did know about that, yeah. <laughs> I love how, like, very viscerally upset all of you are. And you're just like, no, I didn't. No, it was terrible. <laughs> it was so gross, so bad. That was yeah, so to scary. be clear, nobody here thinks it's a good idea. No, uh, I if you that. are a listener, don't do that. I think I yeah. don't think anybody thinks it's a good idea. <laughs> we're all we're all you can't see our faces, but we're all like violently recoiling. You look like you're gonna throw up, all of you. Um, yeah. So how did you did you realize that that was a thing after seeing that in the in the text or were you like, Oh, this is about touching hair. What, what was that like experience learning about a new facet of racism is always really fun. Like when I found out that spook was a racial slur for black people oh. while I was watching a musical, I was like, Oh, that's new. Cool. Yeah. Hope nobody calls me that next week. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that the way it was written made it very clear to me that that was a thing. Um, mm-hmm. a yeah. racist thing that I did not know because it is not my lived experience and I didn't see it otherwise. Um, but it was very upsetting because it, yeah, I don't, it was just upsetting. It, it does. It, <laughs> it like, it points out, it does make me very aware of like the bubble of privilege and yes. then the discomfort because like also it reminds me there was a bar in West Hollywood that I used to go to a lot. Oh, um, which is now closed. Which is the now Pikey. closed, called the Pikey. Oh, yeah. Which I went to England. Oh and yes. I mentioned to a friend of mine I, that I was like, "Oh, there's a British pub I go to." Blah, blah blah. And I mentioned the name, and they like looked at me because that's a bad, like a racial slur against Romani people that would you would not use in polite company in England. And they're like, "It's an a British pub with that name," and I was like. Yeah. Oh, God. That's so why would they do that? And I had no idea. I had never heard that slur before. And then well, and a lot of people don't realize uh, I'm going to say it just for the purpose of teaching people what it is. A lot of people say it. So nobody's going to be like, <gasps> but gypsy is also a slur. Yeah. Yes. It was one that I was trying. I yeah. learned it's not. That, and I grew up saying like, oh, you you got gypped. And I, never I didn't know that two and two together. And I always like. I only learned that one, uh, you know, embarrassingly, like maybe five years ago or something. When I made my Wednesday Adams show, I put this character of a gypsy and uh, 
to me, I've always like, I love like, I, I love characters like gypsies. So it felt like a beautiful homage. And I'm like, oh, no, I did not. I am so sorry. You know, you learn the hard way sometimes. Well, well you grow, you grow up, you like live in this environment where well, pe- things it's frustrating are- because people hold on to their ideas of what that word yes. means. And <laughs> yeah, this, right. then, yeah. like, it means you're a free spirit. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. It is a thing that people who are called that ask not to be called and ask us not to use. So let's stop using it. People love holding on to a thing because they're like, but I'm not racist and I use that word. So it can't be a racist word. You don't have word. to anymore though. It's okay. Yeah. You can just not use it now. Yeah. It's like they're in narrow house and it's like, you don't get much news there, but you're a racist <laughs> for using that word. If you hold on to that word, you are actively engaging. It's in just about learning and letting go, like not holding on to like the romanticized version that you had in your head. You can just say, oh, no, I didn't know that. I'll stop using that word. All right. Let's take a breather right there uh, and have a, a word from one of our sponsors. You're listening to Popcorn Book Club from iHeartRadio, and we'll be back right after the break. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? Yes. This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with... What? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in season three? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. Janie, this sounds like an all-new format. Podcasting 2 is finally here. Thoughtful perspectives on current events... Stunning, sexy, bold interviews with an all-star lineup of guests. And the all-new Beauty Translated Love Line, the first ever. Be a part of the Beauty Translated Transcendental Podcasting Experience by calling our helpline at 678-561-2785. For any problem you may have, we will do our best to make it worse. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Alec Baldwin. This past season on my podcast, Here's the Thing, I spoke with more actors, musicians, policymakers, and so many other fascinating people, like actress and director Cheryl Hines. 
they were looking for an unknown actress <laughs> to play Larry David's wife. I said, well, how old is that guy? Isn't he old? <laughs> and author David Sedaris. You know, like when you meet somebody and they'll say, well, I want to be a writer or I want to be an artist. And I say, well, is it all you care about? Because if it's not, it's going to be pretty hard for you. If you're not on fire, it's like opening the door of an oven. And it's like, wow, you know, you take a step back. It's all they think about. It's all they talk about. It's all they care about. They don't have relationships. They're not good friends for other people. This is just what they're laser focused on. Listen to the new season of Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're back with Popcorn Book Club from iHeartRadio. Are there other stories that people wanted to... I think... I mean, I think we should do the end. Yes, the end. Karama, do you want to take it it from here? (laughs) I'm good, thanks. I'll let somebody else have the floor. (laughs) Melissa, Melissa, take it away. Take the setup of the heist. This actually... It's It's not a heist. It comes off of Horace and the Devil Doll. So... um, So after that chapter, or at the end, Braithwaite comes over and cures him, uh, cures Horace of this curse, and is like, if it was in blood, that would have been permanent or or almost almost impossible to lift, and good thing it wasn't, and and then he's like, guess what? We're all gonna take down Lancaster, uh, or I'm gonna I'm gonna take down Lancaster because he's trying to take down me, and also. And not not me, us. And so he tells he all of all of these characters. He's like <laughs> gathered all of these black people that now work for him uh, by force, um, and is like, "You're all going to help me because otherwise they're going to kill you. So you really don't have an option." Um, and he sort of does that thing where he's like the same way he manipulated Montrose and and Atticus to go to the to go get the the handwritten notes for him. That thing where he's like, "So you don't have to go, but." I'm probably going to become like the king of of the magicians, and like you don't have the grand to go. Wizard. The grand wizard. <laughs> <laughs> He's like you don't have to, but the alternative is I won't owe you any favors, and you're going to die. And also, I took your grandmother's <laughs> book uh, that you were protecting forever. Yeah. Um, oh, also, just side note: they in, in that chapter, um, uh, Caleb repaid the debt that was owed to his grandmother for uh, his time for time being a slave. And that was like $300,000 in 1950s money, which is so much money, um, which comes mm-hmm. in later. So, and he's like, you should be grateful. And I was like, no, that's my money. It's like, no, 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 that was owed to yes. us. She worked for no money and also was raped. Yes. Like, yes. and, and Caleb's just like, you're welcome. Um, Caleb's like, and racism's done now and it's done. I fixed it. It's over. And, and you work. And for thanks me? for my book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so they all of the so all of the characters that we've come to love throughout the story come together at the um, at the Freemason, the, uh, the Prince Hall Freemasons secret room. Horace is very excited to be in a secret room. And they're like, all right. Let's all trade our stories. So they all trade the stories and uh, and let's figure out here here's the plan. Ruby gives them the plan because Ruby is still working for Braithwaite. And uh, they're like, but we're also going to kill uh, Caleb. And they're like, how can we do that? He has immunity. 
Like, but I know someone who knows how to fix that, and it's a ghost. So <laughs> Letitia talks to, and Montrose, I think, I believe those are, George, George or Montrose, uh, oh, it's Montrose, has the book that uh, when the Winthrop's ghost wanted. I'm going to fast forward. I'm, I'm getting too mired in the details. But they get, we know they're going to, they have, they now have the secret to kill Caleb and then this whole heisty, very Ocean's Eleven stuff happens. Super fun, where Caleb goes in with Atticus, and Atticus is supposed to be this, like, good, like, here you go, you can kill Atticus now to Lancaster. There's a lot of tension. Lancaster and uh, Caleb meet. Atticus is standing there. And then, meanwhile... There's all this other stuff happening under the guise of helping Caleb. That's what Caleb thinks. So, like, Letitia was hiding in the car, and she has this, like, magic wand that that makes people pass out for a few hours, not remember anything. Amazing. Um, and uh, Hippolyta is with Hillary, who is Ruby, but she does not know that. And they bring down some guards, and then you, they're all doing different shit. Uh, even the Prince Hall Freemason people like Abdullah and Pirate Joe and who Pirate Joe, Pirate Joe. Joe. they're there. Wow. I love that. I can't wait for this scene in the show. It seems like it's going to be super fun and like comedic too. Uh, and so just as Lancaster is like, sorry, Caleb, I'm I have this spell that I'm going to try on you and Atticus. It's a blood spell where it's going to, I control your immunity, and if you ever betray me, I can immediately kill you. And I'm going to put it, try it on you and on Atticus. I don't know if it's perfect, but we're going to try it. All these people come out, Lancaster's allies, and then all of a sudden, Caleb whistles, and the, the like, the, all of the parts of the plan come together. There's, like, smoke that comes through the uh, <laughs> comes through the room, through the fire. That one is the most hijinxy, like the white smoke oh, that comes yeah. out of a Coca-Cola. The smoke? Uh, that's not magic. That's just, like, dropping a... That's a smoke bomb. <laughs> smoke bomb. Yeah, and it's put inside a Coca-Cola bottle, yeah. which is oh, a yeah, nice no. little, oh, right. little Montrose moment. And then Atticus and Caleb get out of there. They're stuck there. Uh, and finally... Uh, they're able to, oh, they kill all of Lancaster and their people through a similar sort of ritual like the one in the first chapter with Atticus, but this time Lancaster and his goons are in a circle, and instead of being taken by light, they are taken by darkness, and they Mm -hmm. disappear. Um, And then... Just as Caleb is going to get the book of names, <laughs> wow, this book, uh, out of a safe, um, Atticus has a literal trick up his sleeve, like the beginning, and he has this uh, words of Adam on written on his arm that he's memorized. He says them as he puts his hand on uh, on uh, Caleb's chest. It is like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And don't uh-huh. kill me. And he's like, oh, we're not going to kill you. And then I think we've discussed, drops him outside of, he's like, you're basically like banished. Like, you can't come into drops Chicago. Drops him in Indiana. Yeah. No. Yeah. You can't come into Chicago. Fame worse than death. Worse than death. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh, and he puts the body of Lancaster in his trunk. So, he, you know, he'll probably get out of it because of white privilege. But, you know, he's he's got a... Uh, 
a body in his trunk and he's in the middle of nowhere and uh, he's like, someone sort of- will come after you. And they're like, "You do you know what it's like to be black in the 50s? People are always <laughs> yeah. coming after us. It's fine. Uh, it's the entire book. Yeah. It's everything that has happened in the entire book. I like that they sort of reverse Green Book uh, Caleb and they give him a little map of the places he can't yes. go to. And it's like places oh, where yes. they yeah. live and like places like black communities. They're like, well, you just can't go there. Sorry. Bye. Don't yeah. go to Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> if you drive around Harlem, you should be fine. <laughs> um, I also do think that it's interesting because, like I said, I did read parts of the end. Screw all of you. Uh, that the way that they undo him is sort of the same way, uh, similar to what happened to Winthrop's wife, where it was yeah. like a play on words or a pun. Mm. And that's how they corrupted his mark of cane on his chest. So he still has it. But it's like if he tries to access magic, he will get hurt. Yeah. And oh, like right. he's still okay if people actively try to kill him for the most part, but like he can't do any other magic. Yeah. Yeah. I like that the the resolution is like they all sh- shared their knowledge, which is a very good like organizing technique for yeah. anything yeah. for wage equality, for anything. That yeah. is just a good advice. It's like if you want justice from someone in power, you got to compare notes with other people and they work together. And then they, yeah, liter- took his literal and figurative power from the situation because he underestimated them. He assumed that he's like, I paid you, racism's over, and now you're all grateful, happy servants to me. Mm-hmm. I think there's also a pretty important message about the fact that somebody is nice or polite to you, not meaning that they're a good person. Mm-hmm. That, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. that Caleb is still absolutely evil in spite of the fact that he can have a pleasant relationship with certain members of these groups. Yeah. When it benefits him directly. When it benefits him. Yeah. And he even says, he's like, these people are going to come after you. They're not going to see you as family or even a person. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Did you see them as family or even people? I think you saw them as pawns or as like cogs in the machine of your own grandiosity. He is constantly putting them into positions where they might die. Constantly. And you get the yeah, strong yeah. impression that if they did die, he would not, he would still go out to dinner. Like if he, he had a dinner reservation, he'd he still go. He would be sad. <laughs> he might be sad, but I feel like he'd be more sad the mission failed. He'd I mean, like, oh, yeah. I wanted that yeah. book. He yeah. so, he's evil throughout, but to, he's evil throughout. But the story with Horace where he like lets this young boy get assaulted by a cop and like he's watching the whole time. He even comes out and says, I just had to wait and see like if you could get that, if you could get the devil out. And like I had to see and you're like, Caleb, you are a total piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I needed I needed him, you to lure him out so I could yeah. get him. So he put the kid through that as human bait. Uh, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the show. Yeah. Big changes. Yeah. Big changes. It's very different. I'm going to say, I don't like that they changed their last name. I don't like that his name is like Atticus Freeman or Atticus Black, depending on who you ask. Yeah, why did they change it? it. At first, I thought it was a rights thing. We're like, oh, maybe there is Atticus Turner in Los Angeles. But but the the fact that two different people called him different things, they're, they're... setting something up yeah i i mean one thing i like and i'm really excited to see i've only watched the first two episodes but i'll just talk about the first one um is yeah i've only seen the first that uh caleb is christina i think it's really cool that it's a woman and that horace is a little girl like i think those changes Mm. i'm i think 
Caleb being Christina, I think is going to play out really interestingly in like, how does a woman navigate this space? Um, and yeah, I think those, she can like weaponize, weaponize her white but, yes, woman-ness. But can I, we, I anticipate. Yeah. Can we talk about the monster sequence? Oh my God. I didn't. <laughs> So I was watching this with a friend who we were in quarantine pod together. And she's like, is this scary? And I was like, no, it's more spooky than scary. And I told her, I quote, don't worry. The real scariness <laughs> is like actual racist people. There's no like actual supernatural horror. And, and then. And then <laughs> actual CGI monsters showed up and she just <laughs> glared at me. <laughs> yeah, no, it is a real shift from the book where the monsters, with the exception of Devil Doll, the monsters are like a bright white light happens or like a spooky darkness takes uh, over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely, I kind of liked it because like, I think I said before, I don't do well with like vague eldritch monsters, but when they were like, oh, this is like a vampire. I was like, okay, I know the mythology of vampires. I understand how they work. And I saw that 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 police officer had a big bite taken out of him. And I was like, this is not going to end well. And I even remember when they barricaded themselves in, I'm like, you need to leave his ass outside. Yeah. Because he's got a bite. I guess I understand why they made that change, because television is a visual medium and they wanted something Mm -hmm. with, I guess, a lot of visual interest. For me personally, I always find that a non-scary thing, the threat of a scary thing is always scarier than when you yeah. actually see it in like a Cloverfield or uh, a quiet place way. Like for or me- Jaws. Or Jaws. To me, as soon as you see the thing, just like in a, any horror movie, it's just less or, scary to me. But, so like, but I also yeah. think to you at that point, Dana, I, I feel mixed about it because sometimes I really like, you know, like an alien or the thing, but, but it does feel, it just felt jarring and out of place in a way of like everything else is so tense and like spooky from afar. And then when you see those monsters, it almost felt silly to me and not scary because it was like, oh, those are, whoa, they have a lot of eyes. Uh, One one thing (laughs) that I actively did not like about the first episode, and I just have to say it really quick is I didn't like how in the book they planned really carefully when to go through the sundown county. And that is in the characters. They are very smart, careful people who understand these risks and did not take them lightly. And the story about the cop who gives, the sheriff who gave a a driver six minutes to get across the state line is a story they heard from someone else Mm -hmm. and it had been reported back to them. Where in this uh, adaptation, they have that happen to our main characters. But- our main characters knew that was a sundown county and knew the risks. And unlike the book where they're like, we'll go at 3 a.m., they just were driving through it six minutes before sundown. They didn't know in the in the show. No, they didn't have that story relayed to them in the show. But I thought they knew that Devon County was a sundown no, county. No, they didn't know. Okay, never mind. I, I don't think I knew they knew. Because I, I read the book. I think that was not made clear. I think the other thing I was a little disappointed by, and I really loved the pilot, but the other thing was like, I feel like they kind of smoothed out the edges of Letitia. Like they didn't make her as like gritty and kind of a badass, which I feel like we really got in those chapters of the book. Like I, that she wasn't hiding in the back of the car and like lighting the cop car on fire Mm -hmm. and releasing the horse. It was like, She's so, I mean, she's also so beautiful and, but she's also so put together. Truly distracting. distracting. Beautiful. And that she's, but I just wish she, like, she's dressed so perfectly tailored from the beginning. Like, 
as opposed to the transformation with the clothes. Like I wanted her to be just a little rougher. And I don't, and they do definitely put emphasis on the relationship, the love interest between her and Atticus, which, which again, like very attractive classic couple. Hollywood. My God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Weird. Cause that wasn't really in the book. I, much know. I didn't all. think so. If, unless I missed it. Yeah. He's like, like, Oh, I, I was sweet on you when we were little. I feel like there's that vibe, but <laughs> it's not like, Ooh, I'm sweet on you now. Hollywood uh, loves people. It doesn't kissing. seem like Letitia's goal is uh, I'm going to get together with Atticus. It seems like her goal is very reasonably. I'm going to own a large house and rent out rooms. Yeah. <laughs> that's a very valid and reasonable goal. She's very much like Tiana in the uh, Princess and the Frog. She's like, I want to be a small business owner. That's my goal. Uh, Love's not on the table. I love. Otherwise, I love the cast. Courtney B. Vance can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm like. Oh. I feel like they've given that character a lot more to do in the show, and uh, getting a little head, but it. It just feels like such a, such a good use of him. As an actor. The actors, I, as you mentioned, are so good looking. I just want to. Yes. Everyone is very good looking, though I will say the guy that's playing Atticus does not look 22 <laughs> to me at all. Fine. He's so. But yeah. I think that they take that detail out of the movie, yeah. of the show, as opposed like, to in the book, because I was like, he's, he looks 22 like I look like Beyonce. They're like, he's, like, he's whatever age Jonathan Majors is because he needs to be in this part. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think he's like early 30s at the oldest and he looks the age that he is he just looks the age that he is um i don't remember this being in the book at all but do they have a comment at any point in the book that any of you can remember about letitia being light-skinned they do yeah they oh, compare okay. her to ruby that she and ruby look very different that ruby is oh okay because i saw that seeing skin. that on the screen i was like <laughs> who's their parents because <laughs> they do that a lot I feel like in Hollywood where they'll have two related black people that don't look anything alike they're like they're both black people will get it and they have completely different skin tones and I'm like there's no earthly way these two people came from the same parents so I couldn't remember that I'm glad that you refreshed my memory because um, that was indeed in there yeah I did um, not tied to the show at all but I did think that that was interesting that Letitia was lighter skinned and Ruby was darker skinned and Ruby decided she wanted to live life as a white woman at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. I mean, options, colorism and racism real. are real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm excited to keep watching the shows. I liked the weird vampire CGI monsters. I'm pro vampire CGI I, monsters. I, I, I'm yeah. anti-vampire <laughs> CGI monsters because here's the thing. Um, there were moments reading this book where I was terrified, but they were all moments where they were just dealing with normal racism. They were moments where Letitia was being pursued by like white men in her neighborhood who were going to do something terrible to her. Um, they were not moments when I saw any of the monsters. Like, uh, the sea monster is kind of not that scary in this book, and that feels like the biggest, most notable it's monster. It's a rock. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like a, a big a, rock. A rock. You can just avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. don't touch the rock and, and you won't and die. The, yeah. And the so, devil doll is scary, but not physically threatening. It's like creepy, right. scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, it's more scary than this man who's lost control of his body. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I think trying to make the monsters a big, scary thing in the show. takes me a little bit away from the fact that the real terror here is uh, the everyday racism that these characters are experiencing. 
I felt like it leaned into the pulpiness. Yeah. And it does that in the very yes. first scene where Atticus is having this sort of dream nightmare of war. And also the, um, I forgot the name of the story, Princess of Mars. Uh, yeah. A Princess of yeah. Mars, yeah. A Princess of Mars, excuse me, wrong article. Um, <laughs> but he's having that dream that combines all of this sort of pulp fiction and his actual war experience. And I felt like that was what appealed to me about the CGI yeah. monsters because it did feel kind of pulpy and kind of like... It was yeah, Lovecrafty. That's what I was going to yeah. say. And I feel like that's what the filmmakers are choosing to lean into is the Lovecraftian aspects and like those kinds of monsters that are both scary and silly. Uh, it does remind, I don't know if anyone's seen The Thing, but it's a very uh, John Carpenter's horror movie from the 80s where, like, at the time, it was such a colossal commercial and critical failure that it, like, ruined his career for a while. Like, he went to director jail and, like, they canceled his contract. And then, like, 10 years later, uh, they're like, oh, wait, this is an amazing movie. And it's very, now it's a cult classic. And I love it if you've seen it. But it is, like, the monster is so grotesque that it's scary but also funny. And I think that's a, you know, a a fun I thought it was scary and also funny because there's that moment where the police officer, the first one, turns yeah. into this CGI yeah. vampire wow. monster and he's like, you need to shoot him <laughs> yeah. to the other police officer. Yeah, <laughs> There is a lot of comedy in the show. Obviously, it's Jordan Peele who does so, I mean, and Misha Green, but like Jordan mm-hmm. Peele is known to do to ride that line and I appreciate that line. Yeah. I, I also want to yeah. point out that it just like, it looks visually beautiful. Uh, like the oh, yeah, 1950s Chicago, like, they spent show. money they on spent it. It looks like so much money on that pilot oh my god when the three of them get out of the car at the dinette and they're just like standing next to that wood paneled car looking fine i'm just like also a i could live in the 50s i could not this is just (laughs) me as a producer like a period outdoor dance sequence with tons of extras in period costumes that that alone is millions and millions of dollars Mm-hmm. But good for mm-hmm. them. I can't. I didn't watch it. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no one's gonna shame Tian. Yeah, okay, no, fine. I was, trying, <laughs> I was trying to say I wanted to jump in and be like, I did not watch this so that I could be shamed. And then there didn't seem like a good time. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> should we ring the shame bell? Well, you can watch it with everybody else when it's on HBO yes. Max and HBO on August sixteenth. Wow. Yeah. That was very wow. nice. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Popcorn Book Club. Uh, see y'all next week. That's our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dana Schwartz, and you can find me on Twitter at Dana Schwartz with three Zs. You can follow Jennifer Wright at Jen Ashley Wright. Karama Dankwa is at Karama Drama. Melissa Hunter is at Melissa FTW. And Tian Tran is smart enough to have gotten off Twitter, but she is on Insta at Hank Tina. Our executive producer is Christopher Hesiotis, and we're produced and edited by Mike Johns. Next week, we move from telling black stories through sci-fi to telling black stories in young adult literature with The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Very excited about that one. If you haven't read that book, you absolutely should. Popcorn Book Club is a production of iHeartRadio. See you next week. You don't 
put those inside of you, do you? This is a show about women. I mean, you do? Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. It's not hosted, not narrated, we're just dropping into a woman's world. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Beauty Translated Season 3 is coming soon with what? A second host? I'm Carmen Laurent, and this season I am joined full-time by world-renowned Janie Danger. Janie, what are we talking about in Season 3? We're talking about life, Carmen. Beauty Translated is about the many fragmented lives spreading across this rich tapestry of the trans experience. And the all-new Beauty Translated Love Line at 678-561-2785. Listen to Beauty Translated Season 3 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye. 